Well, some of them that were amazed. Wow. Who is this guy? Did you hear what he just said? And then some of the people began to become angry. And soon, people were so angry, they began to uh, move toward him, and a sort of a mob scene developed. And they took him to the edge of town with a plan to push him off the cliff. That's how they were going to handle this. They were going to provide an execution for what they thought might be blasphemy. So Jesus was not welcome in his hometown. And uh, let's see what happens next. And that's our passage. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. I invite you to uh, find your text. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through um, 37. And may I remind you that we have Bibles on the table that we encourage you to grab every week when you come in. Yes, we put a lot of scripture up on, uh, on the uh, slides. But the main text, we want you to follow along um, from your Bible. Verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives order to evil spirits. And they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So we'll look at our first section, verses 31 through 37. And it's about setting a captive free. 31 is the location. He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath day. Okay, let's have the map. There we go. So he went, he's been in Nazareth. That's his hometown. That's where the synagogue was, where he read Isaiah 61. That's where they tried to kill him, his hometown. 25 miles to the northeast is Capernaum. And I don't know if you can see that little blob right below, Capernaum. That is the Sea of Galilee. It is not very big. It's just like a little lake, okay? So Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now it says that he went down to Capernaum, even though it's up on the map for us. I think you know, that most of you know the answer why. It's because it's a lower elevation. In fact, Capernaum is 680 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Um, Nazareth is 1,138 feet above sea level. So he went down to Capernaum. Eau Claire is 736 feet above sea level, just in case. Denver is a mile high, right on the butt, 5,280 feet above sea level. And this is on the Sabbath day, and he taught the people. So probably he was invited as a guest in Capernaum, the Sabbath on Saturday, to teach. And this uh, may well have been in the morning. Um, 
his authority in verse 32. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. There was something about Jesus that made him different. And when he taught, people listened. Because he was direct. When he taught, he said, he talked about what God's will was. He talked about what the scriptures actually said. And that was different than a lot of people were used to. They were used to listening to rabbinical teaching. Rabbinical is from rabbi, teacher. The scribes and the Pharisees were the main teachers. And their authority, the way they taught, was that they quoted other rabbis. Not so much scripture, but their authority came from somebody else who had an opinion about this scripture many years ago. And there was a chain of tradition that was passed. And which, who do you follow? And it was about how smart you are. And can you, can you reason and logic with these great men of the past? They were also very evasive. They also talked a lot about minutia when Jesus talked about important things like life and death, good and evil. Straight to the point. And Jesus seemed to know what he was talking about, and it really made sense. Jesus taught with one who had authority. And Matthew 28, verse 18, just let, let me remind you. Then Jesus came to them, to his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's the one that we follow. If you follow Jesus, he is the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And you know what? He had it on that day as well. This is going to make a huge difference in his ministry. That's why things happen. We see the recognition in verses 33 and 34, but we're a little bit surprised about it. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. So this is like encountering a demon in church, you know, where all of a sudden somebody just cries out and there is a spirit speaking through a human being. And this happened in a synagogue, in a place where they were gathered to worship and they pray and to hear God's word. Now Luke includes that a demon is an impure spirit. Now the Jewish people knew that demons are always impure spirits by definition. But the Greeks didn't know that. And Luke wants the Greek audience to understand this because the Greeks viewed that demons could be good or evil. And so uh, he just clarifies that. And the demon, in verse uh, 33, he cried out to the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So it's like, just as, as Jesus is there in, in the presence of these people in the synagogue, the demon gets nervous because of Jesus. Because Jesus is so powerful and the authority he has, the demon is just antsy and, and speaks out and gives, you know, gives, gives, uh, gives up his position, so to speak. And he, he, he cries out of fear. And he wants Jesus to go away. Have you come to destroy us? Now, he knows something about the future. He doesn't know much, but he knows something. And he knows that um, he doesn't have forever. And that Jesus could destroy them all. 
In fact, that's exactly what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 20 when they're thrown into the lake of fire. Now the demon is kind of worried, is it? Is the time come? Is this it? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But this is his first advent, his first coming, and he's going to come again. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Now that's amazing. The people don't know who he is yet. And yet this demon just gives it all up. He's just, he just speaks the truth out of fear, out of uh, humiliation perhaps. I know who you are. A lot of people don't know who he is. This demon did. James says even the demons believe in God and shudder. Verse 35, we have an exorcism. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And, and you know, let me just step aside and say a couple comments about it. What a demon demon is a spiritual being, a very real spiritual being. This is not mythology. Scripture is identifying something very real. Um, demons are angels and uh, Satan and his group, maybe a third of the angels left heaven in, in rebellion and uh, in the New Testament we see those fallen angels as demons. There's spirit beings, spiritual beings. They do not have a body, and uh, they have the, they have the uh, ability to reason, to choose, to feel, and um, they are limited. They are supernatural, but they are limited. They are not all-powerful. Satan is not all-powerful, and a demon can only be in one place at one time. He is not omnipresent, okay? And here, there is at least one or perhaps more in this man. When he says, have you come to destroy us? He may be thinking of the class of demons, referring to the class of demons, or he may be identifying that there is more than one present in this man. And Jesus tells him to be quiet. He doesn't want him to speak, and then he orders them to be removed from this man and to release him. And the demon obeyed him immediately. And the man fell down and came out, and the demon came out without injuring him. Now Luke, the physician, wants us to know about this detail, because typically, demonic activity in humans is very destructive. And often, and we even see in the New Testament, there is a whole lot of destruction uh, and degradation to the human being in the demonic state at its very worst. And here, uh, the, the demon attempts to be destructive, but uh, the man comes away without any injury. And Luke's the kind of person who notices that detail. It's very significant to him. Verses 36 and 37, we have kingdom advancement. So Jesus is on this mission. 
It was, it was launched in uh, Nazareth. He is going to be good news, and he's going to proclaim good news. Verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. God's power was displayed. A miracle took place. Jesus' authority is recognized uh, by the people. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding areas. Jesus' reputation spread. The favorable year of the Lord is here. Remember, that's what he announced. The favorable year of the Lord is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message of John the Baptist. It was, it was the message of Jesus early as well. The kingdom of God is at hand. He hasn't said it here in Luke. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? Number one, the king is present. And his name is Jesus. And the kingdom of God is about the realm and the rule of God. The reign of God. And he is beginning his influence. Proclaiming the good news. And his reputation expands. And the kingdom of God expands. So that's just the first part of this day. And now let's go to uh, right after lunch. We don't know if they've had lunch yet or not. We see the healing of the sick in verses 38 and 44. And here's the situation. Jesus was in, left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now who's Simon? First time we've met Simon, we don't know who he is. Luke just sort of assumes everybody gets this. This is Simon, Simon Peter. And we know from... Um, John chapter 1, that Jesus met him already, and uh, this is Simon Peter, and we will call him Peter later, and he will also write uh, the, the letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, but this is the first encounter we have, and it's with his mother-in-law. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. Who's they? Probably Andrew and Peter, their brothers. And this is uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and they're hoping Jesus can help. They, they know uh, he's powerful, and he has authority, and he cares. And Jesus, remember, cares about the whole person. That's why he cares about children in Africa who don't have clean water. He cares about the whole person. He cares about those who are oppressed. And by the way, what just happened uh, at the synagogue? He set a captive free. One who had been held captive. One who had been held a prisoner of an evil spirit. One who was in spiritual bondage had been set free. Jesus is proclaiming good news and announcing the favorable year of the Lord where people... Uh, where people's moral debts are forgiven. Verse 39, we see the miraculous healing. Now, so he, he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. All, we don't know what the words were. Jesus just spoke words, and she was healed. 
And, you know, does this sound like, well, is he trying to act like this is a demonic situation? No, not at all. The New Testament is really clear when, when it separates illness from demonic activity. But Jesus has authority to speak the words. In fact, if you know who Jesus is, and you understand how he's identified in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the creator of God, and he's the one who created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He just spoke the word. He just said, let it be. And it was. And that's what he did here. By the way, when he comes again in Revelation 19, he's got a double-edged sword uh, out of his mouth. That's a metaphor. And it's because he's going to speak the words of judgment. So he bent over, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began uh, to wait on them. So this was a miraculous, instantaneous healing. Generally, we would just be satisfied if, if, the, if the fever came down to normal. And she's totally exhausted, maybe soaking wet or has great chills or whatever. But she is totally restored. She is not hungry or exhausted. She is totally rejuvenated and healed. Because that's how Jesus healed people. She got up and began to wait on the whole group. She got up and began to serve. What, what can we learn from that? When Jesus does something amazing for you, logical response is to serve him. And he engages us to serve each other as well and to serve others. But it, it continues. Verse 40, more healings. At sunset, now what day is this? It's Sabbath. What does that mean? It, it means that the Sabbath ends at sunset and a new day begins at sunset. And so what do we see? At sunset, the people brought Jesus, all who had various kinds of sickness. So they wait until sunset. They've probably been using that time to figure out who can we get? Who can we bring here? How can we get these people to Jesus? But at sunset, you see, they were not to work on the Sabbath. They were, and that included, at least by the interpretation of the rabbis, not to carry their mats, not to carry their sick. And so they wait, and now they're free. And so they begin to bring people to Jesus. So it's dark, and things just begin to roll for Jesus. It's going to be a long day. People brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, many different kinds, and laying his hands on each one, very personal. He could have just said, be healed to the whole group. He went to each one. I would imagine he looked them in the face, he touched them, and he spoke the words, and he healed them. More exorcisms, verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. So here again, all these people coming, there are demons present, and they, uh, they speak out on their own. We, we don't know if there's been interaction with Jesus other than they're close to him, and they're getting really nervous. And they, they just I, they identify it perfectly. You are the Son of God. Even his disciples, who he's sort of in the process of calling, aren't sure about that yet. 
But the demon just nails it. This is really early in his ministry. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, just like he did with the first demon, because they knew he was the Messiah. So why not? Why not let demons identify you? Well, Jesus didn't come to be acknowledged by demons. Jesus didn't come so demons would be impressed. Jesus came to stir up faith in people. And they weren't there yet. Besides that, demons don't have a very reliable history. And their primary purpose is to deceive. So how long would it take demons to acknowledge him when Jesus is close is to try to confuse people about Jesus later. Deception. Jesus will have nothing to do he does not care. He wants the demons to be silent. He didn't want them to use their influence to advance his ministry. So, what's the big picture here? Mission is launched. He's proclaiming the good news. He's setting captives free. He's going to be giving sight to the blind. He's healing the sick. He's announcing the favorable year of the Lord. There's going to be uh, forgiveness from debt, moral debt. He's performing miracles. What is he doing? Well, just remember, this. I think this is across the board in the Bible. The purpose of miracles. You know, we would like God to do miracles 24-7 in our life. Just like magical get stuff that we want. That's not how God works. What God is doing in Jesus' ministry is he's authenticating the message of Jesus. And he's authenticating the messenger. That's how God worked in the Old Testament. That's how God worked in the New Testament. And that's how God is going to work in the future. These miracles are getting attention. Uh, pay attention, people. Jesus is speaking for God. Pay attention. Wake up, Israel. You are missing your Messiah. It's exactly what's happening. Wake up. A lot of people will. They'll pay attention. He's the one. He's the one. We've been waiting for him. And it's even going to go into the book of Acts, where the apostles will be doing miracles. What are they doing? They're sending a message to Israel. Wake up, Gentile churches. Wake up, Israel. God is at work, and you missed your Messiah. And then we see um, his priorities in verse 42 and 43. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Mark tells us in this very same situation that Jesus went out to a solitary place pray. Jesus got away from all of it and he needed to be refocused and recentered and recharged and he wanted to be with his father and he wanted to pray. The people were looking for him and so, you know, this is exciting. We got Jesus here and he's doing all these things and this is, you know, this is awesome and um, we like what he's doing here. Maybe we can hire him as a rabbi here and uh, Capernaum, 
The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They just wanted to hang on. They wanted to keep him there. Hey, we're going to keep him here. He'll do good things for us. He'll do what we need him to do for us. But he said, verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. First time he mentions the kingdom of God in the book of Luke to each uh, to other towns because this is why I was sent. He could have stayed and just keep kept on in Capernaum, but he says, nope. There's more than this. I have been sent. I have responsibility. I must go. I must follow the higher uh, priorities. He knew his Priorities. He knew his purpose. He knew his mission. And he did not come to please people. Or let people set his agenda. John 6.38 reminds us of this. John 6.38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. And we see that throughout the Gospels. And here's a clear example. He is going to follow uh, his commitment to the Father. To do God's will. Um, question for us. What about you? Whose priority system do you follow? Is it all about you? Or all about your family, or above it all, will you put God's priorities? Set His priorities first and work your life into that, and under that, and under His authority. How does that fit into the way you should time? How does that fit in with how you relate to your family, your marriage? How does God's priorities fit with your marriage? How does God's priorities fit with how you raise your kids? How does God's priorities fit with how you spend your money? How do God's priorities fit with your giving back to God financially? Um, verse 44, we see the kingdom advance. Verse 44, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus kept on mission, proclaiming the good news to the poor, setting captives free, and uh, ministering to people who are suffering and dying and people who need to be healed. And uh, for an FYI there, Luke uses the word Judea. Where are they? They're in Capernaum. Where's Judea? Well, it's way down south. But Luke is sensitive to his Gentile readers. They don't care about all those spots on the map. When they talked about the land of Israel, just to say Judea was enough, because it was all about Jerusalem and those people who lived in that country. And so Luke uses a word that the Gentiles will understand. He kept on preaching. He kept on advancing the kingdom of of God. It's about God's rule on earth and God's reign on earth. 
Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, Jesus taught his disciples this. Some of you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you know it as our Father. And uh, this is this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer that God's kingdom come to the earth. So that his rule and his reign are just like it is in heaven. Because when he speaks, it's done. When he asks the angels to do something, they carry it out. But that doesn't happen that way here, does it? Does it happen that way at your house? Jesus asked us to pray for this. That his kingdom rule now, here, on earth. Now, it's coming for sure. It's coming. There's going to be an ultimate, eternal kingdom of God on earth. Revelation 21 and 22. But Jesus wants, it, wants us to pray for it now. So his kingdom can advance through us. Influence. As we live for him. As we share our faith. As people come to faith in Christ. As people grow. The kingdom of God advances. God takes up more influence and more space and more geography, if you will. And that's what he wants us to do. That's our mission, is to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, I have some lessons. The first one is this. Jesus still has authority in heaven and on earth. I know you already know that. I just wanted to remind you. He died on the cross. Paid the penalty for our sins. He was resurrected on the third day. Later, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And that's where he is right now. He sits at the right hand of God. He is alive and well, and he still has the same authority. And he invites us to approach his throne of grace in our time of need. And he invites us to speak to him and to ask and he can use his authority to meet our needs. He obviously has authority over demonic spirits, and he's also delegated that authority to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And I thought it just might be really practical to remind you of Philippians 4, 13. This power and the authority that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I can do all things through him. And he meant, uh, King James says, through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all that God wants me to do. I can't do everything, but I can do what God wants me to do. I can carry out God's will with his strength. And he will give it to me. If I ask. Jesus still has authority. And you can ask. Secondly, Jesus had compassion for the whole person. Whether it was physical or intellectual or emotional or spiritual. And so should we. Now, some of you may not be aware, but historically the church has just swung big time on a pendulum about this thing. Back in the... Hundred years ago, there was a big tension in the church, and there was a liberal wing, and they were all concerned 
about physical and about going uh, to Africa, for example, and as medical missionaries and doing the medicine. Very, very weak on the spiritual part, but helping the whole person. Well, there's a good part of it, but they didn't really believe in, uh, they, they ended up with a bit of a work salvation about doing these good things and God would be pleased. And not so much on, well, salvation is by faith through grace, and you need to believe in Jesus. And then the other side was the fundamentalists who believed in the Bible, and they got so concerned about the spiritual, they began to leave out the physical. And they didn't care for the whole person, they just cared for, we're going to dump the gospel on these people and get them saved. Doesn't make any difference if they die if they're saved. And that's not what Jesus was about either. And I just, it's a reminder that Jesus is about the whole person. And we must be concerned about the whole person. I think the clean water in Africa is a great uh, example. You get kids to live, and, and ministries like Team World Vision can go into a community and begin to help them with clean water then help them with get the kids to get educated and uh, help them with finding work and help them with uh, establishing churches. Thirdly, Jesus lived with God's kingdom priorities and so should we. Jesus lived with kingdom priorities and we've talked about that. Uh, Jesus listened to the voice from heaven and he wasn't so concerned about the latest trend or what was the latest conventional wisdom. He wanted to follow God's will. Uh, Matthew 6.33, I quote this a lot. I have to be careful I don't quote it too much. It happens to be my life first. Let's see first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom. By the way, Jesus spoke these words. And these these are, this is a command to his followers. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, it's about pursuing God's lifestyle. Pursuing righteous living as well. And all these things will be given to you as well. The things that people need. And that's Matthew 6. It's all about Jesus. talks about what we wear. It's about our finances. about the things that we need. God understands those and he cares about those. And he's going to meet all of our needs. He promises that. But he wants us to put his kingdom first. His priorities and then my priorities. It's really about living under the lordship of Christ. So God has priorities. And I have priorities. Do they fit? And uh, I like to think of it of, in terms of I have a little kingdom myself, by the way. The king, my kingdom is all about me. What do I want? What makes me happy? And do I want to seek my kingdom first, or do I want to seek his kingdom first? That's really a choice. It's really a choice. It's about recognizing Jesus is Lord and I am not. Jesus is Lord and He's called me to be a servant. And he wants me to follow. Um, the fourth one here, Jesus would not let people interrupt his purpose, and neither should we. Uh, 
Jesus wouldn't allow his schedule to be interrupted by the needs of people. He had boundaries, by the way. He had a clear purpose, and he wanted to focus on the purpose. Uh, he was willing to tell people no, even if it was for good. He was willing to tell people no because he set boundaries on his life. He knew when to get away and rest. And he's going to call his disciples away to rest as a model. Are you willing to say no to people when it violates the purpose that God has for your life? The last one, Jesus wants us to spread the news, the good news as we go. Jesus wants us to spread the good news as we go. And of course, uh, the great passage, you know, that's what Jesus was doing, you know. He, he, he wanted to proclaim the good news, and then he went, began to go from town to town. He didn't want to stay in one place, didn't want to let the grass grow there under his sandals. He just wanted to go. And that's the instructions that he's given us who follow him. Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. We say uh, to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. But let's just focus on that first part here. Therefore, go. The verse 18 is before that. We read it earlier. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He has the authority. And then he says, therefore, go. And I just want to remind us, uh, maybe you already know this, but the word go here in the Greek language is a participle. It is not the main verb. It carries the force of a command here. It's one of those I-N-G words, actually, a participle. And it, it could be translated, as you go, make disciples. When you go, make disciples. Since you are going, make disciples. Uh, wherever you go, make disciples. So this could be when I go to work. It could be when I go to school. Uh, when, I, when I go to the store. It's about just living in a way that reflects Jesus. And uh, we get a chance to be good news every day. That's, that's the opposite of being bad news. You know, where you represent Jesus very poorly with your language, your attitudes. The good news is when you represent him well. You're kind and gentle and loving, patient with people. Uh, wherever you go, wherever we go, we can be good news and share good news. Sometimes it's with words. So, Jesus uh, has launched his mission. He's preaching good news. He's setting captives free. We've just seen the beginning of this. He's restoring sight to the blind. He's releasing the oppressed. He's proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. His miracles are beginning to authenticate who he is. His message, listen to me. And his messenger, see who I am. It's just beginning. And that's just one day. Jesus' life. We followed Jesus for one day. Will we be able to follow him this week?